Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 340. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. This week on the show, we'll be discussing the movie everyone is talking about this week, Joker. We'll also be talking about someone watching on the watch list, going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember to please consider reviewing us on iTunes if you get a chance. That would be incredible. There is going to be a new Ryan Watches a Movie this week. So stay tuned for that. That'll drop on Thursday. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's happening. Will it happen next week? Who knows? Up in the air. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, it is completely up in the air. It's the only bit of housekeeping I have. So with that, I think we can dive into our review. Joker. This is directed by Todd Phillips. I have a synopsis here. A gritty character study of Arthur Fleck. A man disregarded by society. <laughs> uh, that is straight from IMDb. Yeah, I read it. I read it too. <laughs> <laughs> gritty, gritty character study. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of Joker? It's gritty. Mm, mm-hmm. Gritty character study. I thought it was a gritty character study of Arthur Fleck, right? This is a man disregarded by society, and he turns into Joker, which is Batman villain. I thought that this movie was fine. Like, honestly, I don't... It was okay. Um, I thought it was just... Like, there's not a whole lot here, really. I mean, and it's kind of, unfortunately, what we kind of thought it would be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, I didn't think it, I didn't think it was, like, overly um, king of comedy. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it really had a whole lot of that going on. You know, like, I initially thought it might. But so much of it is just really, really drawn out. You know, him being disregarded by society over and over and over again. And then he's, he's like, I'm Joker for a little bit. And then it's movie over. And we've seen this movie. I mean, it's not, you know, not in the context of like, oh, super villain origin story but we've seen plenty of movies where you know guys beaten down by society and then he snaps sure and this is exactly what i predicted right this movie last week i think on the show i I said it's going to be really long just drawn out him being beaten down over and over and then he's going to snap and in the last like 15 minutes it's going to be you know chaos and that's sort of that's sort of what happens. Uh, yeah. I would say that I had an accurate prediction there. I'd say that's one. Yeah. Po- that's yeah. that's one yeah. point for me. I, I totally. I totally. I totally agree with you. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. I thought that there were some really. Uh, there were certainly some highlights to it, but overall, I didn't really have strong feelings one way or the other about it, honestly. I think as far as a, a superhero movie, this is probably one of the most interesting interpretations of a superhero movie that's ever been created. I mean, it's R-rated. It is it is gritty, as the, as the synopsis states here. There is certainly some grit to it. And I think that it, grit now. yeah, I, th- I think that the, it, it's a unique way of telling us a, a superhero origin story or a supervillain origin story. Yeah, because it's even it's kind of both. It you is two origins for it, one. 
Yeah, it is. Let's not try to let's uh, if we we might have to do some spoiler discussion. I'm not sure if we'll want to get into spoilers for this at all or not, but I do. We do. We can do like a small one because I do. I have like a little nitpick with that. Okay. Yeah. So we'll with that angle of it. We'll do a we'll do a quick spoiler talk and we will put it on the very end of the show as to avoid any kind of major spoilers for people who haven't seen this yet. Uh, one thing that I really liked was the setting. I feel like I've been talking about this in the various podcasts I've been doing a lot lately, but I love New York City grime movies. I love the the way that the city looked and felt in the 70s and 80s and even into the early 90s. And even though this was, you know, it's a fictitious city of Gotham, it's still, I mean, this was New York in the 70s, right? <laughs> like, let's be real. Yeah. This was New York in the 70s. You had the garbage strike that was happening and it it just, it exuded that that New York City grime. And so I, I loved that. I loved all of the like CD clubs and like rundown ramshackle apartments that, that are in this. And I really liked the juxtaposition between, you know, the, the grimy subway. And then when he goes to that, uh, event at, that Thomas Wayne was at and the, the, the clean, you know, studio of, uh, Robert De Niro's characters, his show. So there was a lot of like visual things, aesthetics that I really enjoyed with this. I thought I thought that Joaquin Phoenix did a really great job as Arthur Fleck, especially like just the physical stuff that he did. I mean, just the contortions that he would do with his body a lot. Yeah, that's always there's always that aspect to his performances lately. It seems like he's he's got a it's a weird body. <laughs> it's like his stomach is a cave. I don't, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I don't know how he does that or how he, why he's able to do that. He just like sucks his, know. he just sucks his tummy. And he does, but like he sucks that in. But at the same time, it's like his rib cage is like twice the size it should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially matched to like his shoulders that don't seem to exist. I like, I don't, I don't understand it. It's a confusing, it's a confusing body. <laughs> if there's one thing we can learn from joker it's that joaquin phoenix has a confusing body well i mean you've learned it in other movies too because he's yeah. he kind of had that he, he, he has that going on and he really utilizes that but here i think it's it's kind of it's really prominent throughout uh what did you think of his performance do you agree that he did a, a really good job I, yeah he's he's fine he's fine as joker it's just to me it's just a, it's kind of a standard Joaquin Phoenix performance. I think that everyone else, everyone else didn't really have a whole lot to work with. Uh, Francis Conroy, Francis Conroy as, as the mom, Penny, she, she had a bit to work with, but even her role was just, it was so diminished. And like Zazie Beetz plays uh, his neighbor, sort of a love interest, I guess. Uh, I don't want to get too much into that uh, due to spoilers. But she, again, she just doesn't have very much. Uh, I mean, the, the movie is very squarely focused on Arthur and his his story. Everyone else is just kind of tertiary. Like they just 
have very small interactions with him and in turn the audience throughout the whole movie. Yeah. So, I mean, everything hinges on his performance in this because, you know, you have, you have other people like Shea Wiggum is the, one of the detectives and, you know, he's always great, but he's in it for a very short amount of time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone on the sidelines is exactly that. They're on the sidelines. They don't really get to do too much. They don't really get to add too much to this. Yeah. Just walking Phoenix. Just refusing to wear a shirt most of the time. <laughs> laughing. Laughing. Smoking a lot of cigarettes. Yeah, you gotta you gotta smoke the ciggies back then, man. And he's yeah, he's just he's had enough. He's gonna be Joker. Yeah, same the same can be said about De Niro's character. He's in it more than I expected. Actually, I thought he was just gonna be in it for like one scene or something, and he's in it a little bit more. And then yeah, like yeah. You have like Mark Marin popping up there. He has like one, one line or two lines, and it's just like okay. Kind of, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more from him there, but say la vie. Indeed. I, I mean, the the only thing that I did find interesting is I was a, a, a somewhat surprised by the kind of the uh, the anti-rich sentiment throughout. I thought that that was interesting, but it. Didn't really seem like they went, you know, that was all kind of surface level. They didn't really go deep with it. It was just more of, you know, they're just kind of stuck on this idea of like, oh, Arthur Fleck is getting beat down, trampled on, society trampling on him. Yeah. And okay, I get it. But, I, you know, for almost an hour and a half of that, it's like, yeah, all right, I got you. Which is one of the reasons that I wasn't like super pumped about this movie because I just, I knew it was going to probably be that. And, and it actually, what the, what, what it actually was, was less than what I had envisioned in my head. I thought it was going to be much worse. Like the things that happened to him, I thought it was going to be just absolutely brutal, like just over and over, but you know, bad things happen to him certainly, but it's just yeah. not, not to the degree that I, expected going into it It going back to what you were saying about the reflection of society and all of that stuff uh i i see joker and i think that there's already a lot of discourse about this where i think that the this movie can be misconstrued as sort of a where he he could be looked at as like a hero character and i think that much like a movie like Fight Club, for example, this could be championed by a certain yeah. subset oh, yeah. subset of people. That and I'm not, I don't think that that was the intended purpose of this movie. No, but I mean, it is. Bad. I mean, it completely demonizes mental illness. Like this is this is some old school way of thinking. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean with it, with his mental illness. You know, this is. I mean, it's still kind of like that today, obviously, but. I, you know, again, it's just what's here is just we've seen it before. It's very familiar. I I don't really think it's anything extraordinary, and definitely not to you know to the degree that it should be talked about so much. Like if he wasn't Joker, if he was just some dude, then I don't think we would really care that much. Right. And would would it be would there be so many people going to bat for this movie 
if if this movie wasn't called Joker and it was just called Arthur, <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Fleck. It was just called Arthur Fleck, <laughs> and that's it. I saw somebody say that this this movie is uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer for dude bros who have unframed posters of Batman v Superman hanging on their wall. <laughs> and, and, I, guess I mean, like it, it, it's there's there's some touches. There's there's things there, but it's just it's not delved into enough. And I think that you know because perhaps they're so stuck on you know oh it's a Joker movie, it's Batman. We don't have to go any deeper. People just love it because it's Joker, Joker origin story. You know, I mean, it feels like they're kind of just riding on that because you have a built-in fan base that you're gonna have a big, you know a shit ton of people coming out to see this just because it's Joker, just because of the, the brand. What do you think about the theory that uh, this is this is a movie for incels? This is a movie that is confirming the the thought base of of incels, where Albert Fleck, Arthur Fleck is in and of himself an that, incel. I was kind of confused by that going into it, and now after watching the movie, even more so confused by that because it seems like the main takeaway of this movie is eat the rich. I mean that's like the whole thing it's just like fuck the rich you know the entire city is having to deal with all this shit and they're all left behind and the rich are you know they're, they're having a wonderful time doesn't even affect them right so it's just weird to, to, to go with the incel angle i yeah i agree i don't i don't necessarily think that it, it you you can look at it multiple ways right you can look at it like it's demonizing mental illness, like you said, but you can also look at it that it's a failure of the system because he's getting, he, oh, yeah. ha- he has, yeah. he has medication. So you can look at it as a critique on the mental health system in, in general, where, you know, he has government funded help at the beginning where he, he's meeting with a social worker every week and he's on medication and that funding stops. And he goes off his meds because he can't get them anymore. And this is part of the catalyst that that drives him down this path. Definitely, no, I agree with that. But even if even even with the with the funding in place, it's just you know, the people are overwhelmed. You right. know, it's one person that we, you know that woman. It's just one person trying to you know she probably. She probably sees, you know, how many people. Oh yeah. That she's, you know, I mean, it's a system that's built to fail, even right. if it is funded. And he even brings that up at, at one point, like the, the last meeting he has with her. He's like, "You're, you're not helping me." Like I'm telling you, he's like, "You ask me every, every time, every week that I'm in here, you ask me, you know, how I'm doing, and I tell you I have." all negative thoughts and he's not getting the help that he needs. So I think in a lot of ways it is a statement on that. And I think that it's, it is kind of silly to focus on the, the incel angle of things. Which I, I, I don't understand that either. I mean, I, I guess from the, the Sazy beats angle of the film, but even then, like at one point when he's talking to a certain character, it seems like a, He's not looking for, you know, like a sexual relationship or anything. He just wants warmth of any kind. Like he literally says that out loud. 
to another person. Uh, yeah, I don't see that either. I don't. I don't really see that angle too much either. I mean, I can only assume, like you said, that it was through the Zazie Beats character. But I think more than anything. Uh, but I. I also don't think that he should be. That this should be looked at as he's the hero of the story or even an anti-hero either. I think that it's it, this more than anything, this is just a tragedy of society failing a man. And as, as a result, him going down a very dark path, I, if anything, it's, this should be a cautionary tale and not looked at as something to, to be, a character to be looked up to, you know, like, I think, I think yeah. the, the wrong way to, to do it is to look at Arthur Flack and be like, he just didn't give a fuck. He was sick of, he was sick of the man bringing him down. He rose up and he said, this is it. You know, I've had enough. I think a, a lot of people could easily compare him to Travis Bickle, but I think that the, the, the two characters are, are wildly different in their motivations. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I was just I was kind of surprised. I, I mean, I shouldn't be, but I was just kind of surprised that there wasn't really that much there. I was just, I thought there was going to be more. I did, I did too, just because this is a big studio film. Like, th that's the surprising thing to me. We've, we've seen, you and I have seen, and people who are into cinema have seen tons of movies like this, but the mainstream film going audience largely hasn't, you know, they're used to the big blockbusters. So to see a movie like this end up in theaters and, you know, breaking records, it broke the October opening weekend record. And yeah. it, to see that is kind of astounding to me. And, and again, it, I mean, it comes down to, it comes down to, you know, the brand. It's just because it's Joker. He says this is Arthur Fleck, and no one would, you know, there'd be a handful of people talking about it, maybe. But other than that, it would just kind of, just kind of float on past. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't get a wide release. It wouldn't. It probably wouldn't be produced by Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> it would fly under the radar. It would be like it'd be more like uh, you were never really here or something. Yeah, and it, it's weird because that's a movie that I didn't necessarily like. But if you had put them side by side, I would definitely pick that movie over Joker. It just it, it, it just felt like a, a a long time, a long time to get to an inevitable end that wasn't that interesting. Like the journey wasn't interesting, and the end, the chaos wasn't that interesting either. Sadly, I completely agree with you here. I think aside from some. I liked the score. I thought that the score was quite good. Uh, and aside from that and some of the visuals, uh, it was just pretty average for me. Yeah. Let's give this a score. And then at the end of the show, as I said, we will have a spoiler discussion involving the ending of the movie. Uh, so, Kevin, what are you going to give Joker? Oh, man. Like a five, I guess. I'm sitting at a six for this one. There was there was enough here. Like I think it was a well made movie. I think that the again Oh yeah. Definitely. The, I thought performances were good, specifically Joaquin Phoenix, since nobody else really had much to do. And the and the visuals. I love that I love that 
New York City 70s grime. All right, let's talk about some of what we've been watching this week. I believe it is my turn. I saw, I don't think I mentioned this last week. I saw Into the Dark, Uncanny Annie, which is the latest in the Into the Dark series on Hulu. If you're not familiar, every month they release a horror movie themed around whatever holiday is happening during that month. So obviously this month it's Halloween. And the the premise of this is that you have a group of high school, uh, sorry, college friends who get together to honor one of their, their friends who died a year prior through sort of a a freak accident. He drowned in six inches of water. And uh, yeah. that that comes into play later on. And they he was a big board gamer, so they decide to have a game night on Halloween. And they go into the basement and they find this board game called Uncanny Annie. And they never, none of them ever saw it before. They assumed that the previous occupants of the house left it there. So they decide to play this game because it looks creepy. It looks like a horror game and it's Halloween, blah, blah, blah. So they start to play it and they realize that like what's happening in the game is sort of bleeding into real life. And they realize that they have to continue playing the game or else they're all going to die. So it's kind of like a horror version of Jumanji. And they even, they even reference Jumanji in the movie. They're like, this is some kind of like fucked up Jumanji or something. I actually quite liked it. Uh, The, into the dark series has been really hit or miss for me, mostly miss. There's only been, I think two of them in in the, this is the 13th one. And I think there was only like two of them that I really liked. Uh, one of them, one of them being last year's culture shock, which was actually really good. And there was another one that came out, I think the very next month called school spirit. That was this kind of standard slasher, but it was just really fun. And this one, this one's right up there for me. It's probably my third favorite out of, out of the bunch. It has some genuinely creepy moments. It was fun. I thought that the characters were at least somewhat likable and they felt natural. The, some of the, the games that they have to play, some of the challenges that they have to do are, are, are kind of clever too. I wish that they had more challenges in it. So like basically the game you just draw a card and do what the challenge says on the card. And if you succeed, you get a letter. So you need to spell out the name Annie on the board. If you fail the challenge or if you refuse to do the challenge, then you have to take a card off of this deck called the misery deck. And you have to do yeah. whatever and you have to do whatever's on the misery deck, which is always yeah. something it's like even more awful than whatever the challenge was. And yeah, so why would you ever do <laughs> You know, it's just going to be replaced. Well, there's something worse. It's called the misery deck. At first, so the first time they do it, they don't realize yet that they're like being forced into this, like that they have to play. So that's the first time. And then there's one time when they they fail a challenge. And because they failed, they have to do it. So, yeah, interesting concept. I had fun with it. You know, it's it's not like theater grade stuff it feels more like a tv show episode than a movie but it's on hulu so you can check it out on there again that's called uncanny annie all right all right i might have to check that out i like the idea i like the game thing 
Yeah, like I said, one of the only kind of nitpicks I had with it was that there weren't more challenges for them to do. Horror movies picked another bad one here. So I saw the um, the the Pet Cemetery remake. Oh, I have reboot. I haven't even seen this yet. Oh man! Well, I'm here to tell you, don't don't do it. This might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's bad. It's just really, really bad. One, they completely neutered the shit out of this thing. Like, it's there's nothing going on at all. I mean, at least with the 1989 movie, it was kind of wild. They did, you know, you, you have, you're killing a small child at the end, right? This movie has none of that. There's, no, there's like no horror aspects in this movie at all. It's just a bunch of nothing. They do nothing for so long. It's so unbelievably boring. I mean, oh, and the, on top of that, it is, it's unbelievably ugly. It's just an ugly movie. They do like a lot of like, I don't know what they're doing. If it's like CG backgrounds or what, like the, 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 the wood area where they, where you bury people to, you know, to bring them back or you bury your pets or whatever to bring them back. I mean, it looks, it's laughably bad. It's just, it's ugly. It's boring. It's not, there's really no horror to it at all. They completely changed the end of this movie. It's, oh my goodness. Just watch the 1989 one. So much better. I don't even, I, <laughs> I don't understand the point. I don't know why. I don't know why they did what they did. Like all the decisions that they made, all the things that they decided to change was for the absolute worst. All terrible decisions. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess I'll I guess I'll be skipping that one then. Yeah, like I knew, I I had an idea going in that it wasn't going to be good. Obviously, I knew it wasn't going to be good, but I, I thought there would at least be something there that would be entertaining in you know some form or another. But it's not like it's not even that. It's not even bad that it's entertaining. In its badness, it's just bad. Ouch. And that is the Pet Cemetery remake. Yeah. I saw a movie called In Search of Darkness, which is a documentary about 80s horror movies. Now... Oh, is this that five-hour one? Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm covering this for Beyond Fest. I think that it's it's screening there. And, you know, I was, I was like, okay, well, yeah, this this... This movie sounds really interesting. I love 80s horror. It's my favorite. I think it's objectively the best decade of horror. And I love documentaries about movies. Even if it's something that I already know a lot about, I'll still watch it, you know, just just because for some reason I just I love I love documentaries about movies. So I, I was really amped for this and I was like, ah, uh, I'll I'll put it on. It was like eight o'clock one night, weeknight put it on, give it, a, give it a look. And as soon as I put it on, I realized it, the, the runtime said 258 minutes. And I was like, wait a minute, that can't be right. Maybe there's like something wrong. And I, so I just did a quick look and sure enough, this movie is like four and a half hours long and wow, it's great. Like the, it, it you know, a movie that dives into eighties horror, it should be four and a half hours long. There was so much going on in horror in yeah, the 80s. True. So I had no problem at all with the runtime. I didn't watch it all in, in one sitting. I, I broke it up into to two halves, which I think is perfectly fine. Though Because the way that they structure it, they go chronologically. So the, they start in 1980 
and then they go over all the big horror releases of each year. And you got a great uh, set of people being interviewed from John Carpenter, Doug, Doug Bradley, who, you know, was pinhead, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, tons of people, lots of directors, lots of, you know, big, big names in horror in the 80s. Tom Holland, uh, Joe Dante, lots of really great people that have a lot of really great insights into what was happening in that decade in, in horror movies. And so not only do they go over all of the, the big releases from every year, now some of them they just sort of touch on. So some of them it'll just be like one or two minutes. And then other ones they'll, they'll go and they'll dive in a little bit deeper and talk about for like maybe 15 minutes. Uh, but it's, it's all still really good. And there's a lot of movies that, you know, I really love that were maybe smaller movies like chopping mall, for instance, I love chopping mall and I love night of the comet and I love society. And like, they talk about all of these movies, you know, many of which were a little bit more obscure than your biggies, like the Friday, the 13th movies and, you know, nightmare on Elm streets and stuff. So I loved the just how exhaustive the the content was in here that they just crammed so much in and not only that so between the the years they talk about different trends so they will talk about the practical effects boom that was happening in the 80s and they talk about all of the you know really prolific special effects teams that came up in the 80s and they talk about like you know, the, the effects work on the thing and all of the big creature effects work that was done in the 80s for these movies. And then they talk about the slasher, the slasher boom of the 80s. So they, they get into specific topics, too. And then they, they inject those into in, in between the, the years. So it is a very comprehensive documentary. If, if you are just getting into 80s horror or even if you're somebody who's like, seasoned in 80s horror i think it's still worth a look because it's just there's just so much in this uh, again that's called in search of darkness and it's uh directed by david a weiner yeah all right one that i've been you know patiently waiting for for seems like a number of years now that's a bread factory parts one and two are currently on movie you can watch both of them Back to back, you can knock them out. It's directed by Patrick Wang. Uh, the only thing I did is I only watched part one. I haven't watched part two yet. I was gonna so say part one. Yeah, I didn't get uh, I didn't get part two in there yet. So it's about this you know community arts space. They do a little bit of everything called the Brick Factory, uh, and the issue that they're having is, you know, they've been around for forty years in the community or whatever, and this new celebrity like performance art couple named May Ray from China has kind of moved into town and they have this ridiculous building. They're getting all this funding that the bread factory is not getting. So it kind of deals with like local politics of, you know, funding, community arts funding and everything. So they're trying to, there's going to be a vote on the funding. So the, the people that run the, the bread factory played by time daily and Elizabeth Henry McCary, they kind of go around and try and like get the votes to change. But the interesting thing here is 
there's a there's a little bit of everything in this movie. Like it's not all just about like local politics and you know funding and that kind of thing. Uh, there's this there's a huge cast and it's kind of just like little like little episodes. So and another thing that's kind of surprising about this is it's a lot it was a lot funnier than I was expecting. Like they do a lot of like little skits too of the the May Ray performance art, which is as ridiculous as you can think. Like one of the things is like using hats as shoes. And that's supposed to be, you know, like some sort of massive artistic statement. <laughs> and so like, it's got a little bit of everything in there. You know, I did not, I don't think a hundred percent of it, it works, but there's such a wide array of what's happening. Cause it also has like some little theater scenes and stuff. So you get these little scenes of just like pure theater, you know, and then you have like these comedy bits and then you have this, like there's a through line of the, you know, the local journalist that's trying to figure out what's going on. So you have like those bits in there and it just kind of shuffles between all of this. And it, to me, it works really, really well. I mean, it's it's just completely fascinating, and it looks gorgeous. Like the, you know, and even you know when it does like the the performance art stuff, like their videos and whatnot, like it's done in that style. So it feels like a completely different, you know, short film just out of nowhere. Like it's re it's really really interesting. I'm looking forward to part two. Cool. And that's the Bread Factory, and that's on movie right now. Uh, I saw a movie called One Bedroom, which is. It's spelled out one BR. Uh, I'm covering this for Grimfest, which is happening in the UK, I believe Manchester. Uh, this is directed by David Marmer. The so this this is one of these types of movies that I think would be maybe giving a little bit too much away to sort of divulge exactly what it's about. Um, but the the problem is it's really hard to talk about this movie because like the sort of twist of of or whatever you want to call it is like kind of right at the beginning. <laughs> like it's, it happens like maybe 20 minutes in. So I, I think I have to say like maybe a little bit about the plot. Basically it's about a, a young woman who moves to LA. She's trying to get away from her, her life back home, trying to get away from her dad. Her mom recently passed away and she moves to LA to start start life anew, and she gets a job as a, a at a temp place, and she gets into this luxury apartment building, which is like affordable luxury apartments, and she's really happy about that. The community seems really good, but it turns out that there's some uh, some some nasty things going on here. So it's it starts out with. Her, she sneaks in her cat. This is a no pets place. She sneaks in her cat. And after the first couple nights, she wakes up to find her cats in the oven. Ooh. Yeah. And shortly thereafter, she discovers that there's a, a home invader who knocks her out. And when she wakes up, there's some very nefarious things happening. And it basically uh, turns into a, a cult, a cult like situation. Really, really cool idea. They did some really cool things with it. There was uh, some really rough dialogue in this. Just, just 
cringeworthy dialogue. I mean, it was just, ugh, so bad at times. But the kind of where the movie goes makes up for that a little bit. Uh, so overall, I, I think it's worth a light recommend. And again, that's called One Bedroom. That's all I got. I think there's a, a couple other things that I can mention here. I'll try to get through them quickly. One is The Furies. This is on Shudder right now. This is a Shudder exclusive directed by Tony Duquino. It's an Australian horror movie. Uh, I like Australian horror movies for the most part. They usually do a really good job with, with their stuff. And this is sort of a slasher, but there's a little bit of a twist on it in that it is about this woman who is sh- like kind of grabbed and kidnapped at one night and drugged. And she wakes up in a sort of a coffin type box in the middle of the forest. And it turns out that there's a bunch of other young women in this forest also. And on top of that, there is a whole bunch of slashers, a whole bunch of weird killers that are roaming around this forest too, trying to kill him. And it turns out, oh, big surprise! It's a game. It's all it's all a game for rich oh, boy. for rich people. <laughs> like we've never seen that before. But they do some fun things with it. I mean, yes, the the concept, the 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 broader concept is something we've seen time and again. But in fact, there was like this really bad movie I remember seeing years ago called Slashers, and it was supposed to be like a Japanese game show. And it was like you put a bunch of people in a room with a, a bunch of different slashers. It's very similar to that concept. This is done way better, though. And it goes to some really, really fun places. The effects work is on point in this movie. It's, for the most part, it's there's a lot of practical effects in it. There's some CG work. But, man, the kills in this movie are really really top notch. I mean, there's, there's one that happens towards the beginning that is really rough to watch overall. I think it's a, it's a pretty badass movie. It's called the furies. It's on shutter. Yeah, this is good stuff. The other one that I'll mention is rabid. This is directed by uh, Jen and Sylvia Saska, and it's their remake of the Cronenberg film rabid. Oh, yeah, I'm still f- kind of formulating my thoughts on this one. It's it's weird because it's not necessarily beat for beat rabid uh, the the original, but they do very clearly love Cronenberg's early work because they put in they inject a lot of sort of uh aspects of Cronenberg's work, not specifically rabid, but like his other type of body horror type films and they sort of put a lot of that into this it's very much a love letter to to Cronenberg in general not specifically his his film Rabid there's a lot of differences between this and the original I think for the most part this one works however there's like certain certain nitpicks I have with how this all plays out there's this sort of ugly duckling plot that happens where the the main character is sort of disregarded as this like homely 
not very attractive person because she has like some scars on her face, but you can barely see them and it's just not necessarily believable. And then all of a sudden she gets into this car accident, which fucks her face up even worse. And then she undergoes this uh, plastic surgery, this like radical experimental plastic surgery to fix her, which it does fix her and she's beautiful. She's more beautiful than ever. Bouncers at clubs are letting her in and they're not even checking her name. And all of a sudden like guys are hitting on her and stuff and she's just so beautiful now, but she has uh there's a side effect with this surgery in that there's, Mm. if if this follows the same beats as the original where there's like, it kind of turns her into like, a creature basically there's there's like a parasite inside of her that needs to feed on blood and it it goes to some cool places there's some really great effects work in this as well but i i kind of didn't like the the changes that were made in it i didn't really i wasn't buying the whole ugly duckly thing duckling thing and it's more about the like the fashion industry. So she works for a fashion company and the, I get like the superficial nature of fashion. And I don't know. I just wasn't really into that as much as in the original, she was just a regular person. And the funny thing was like in the original movie, we did, they didn't even establish her as a character before she got into the accident and underwent the surgery. And so for the whole movie of the, of the original, she was basically just embracing this newfound hunger for blood. And in this movie, she's very reluctant. Like she doesn't want to be a part of it. So I don't know. It's, it's a little middle of the road for me, but like I said, I'm still sort of formulating my thoughts on uh, this one, but I, at this point, I would say it's worth worth a look. And again, that's rabid from the uh, the Saska twins. All right, let's take a look at what we have coming out in theaters this week. The House of the Devil is coming back in theaters for for a short time. I'm not sure if it's like a one night only thing, but it's the 10th anniversary of the House of the Devil. Can you believe that? 10 years? 10 years, huh? Yeah. I feel like that movie just came out like a couple of years ago. That's a good movie. It is a good movie. I like that movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, or even if you have, I would recommend seeing it in the theater. We have Little Monsters coming out. We have, that's also a, uh, like a one or two night event. We have The Adams Family coming out. This is the new animated one. Doesn't look very oh. good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too thrilled about this. It's, this is a bizarre choice, I think. I don't know why they keep trying to bring things back. I don't know, man. We got Gemini Man. That's the Will Smith one. Will Smith versus Will Smith. Uh, there was a really funny pull quote that I read from this, and I it was in a, in a commercial, but I don't know if I could find it again. But it was something like, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. <laughs> you need like, to see it to believe. That's what it is. That's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's like on the still of the trailer ridiculous you need to see it to believe i guess technically they're true i guess either way this doesn't look very good to me i'm i don't know i'm not i'm just not into gemini man eh, yeah i mean i might I give it a, i might give it a look when it hits vod or netflix but 
I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we also have Polaroid. This is a horror movie. We got, and this, to me, this is the biggie, Parasite. Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. We'll be reviewing that for sure next week. You're damn, you're damn right we will be. We also have The Dead Center. This is the one uh, starring Shane Carruth. This is the kind of sci-fi thriller. Okay. You uh, saw this one, right? I did see this one. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't huge on this one. Let's see what else we have here. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. This is the the Breaking Bad movie. It's going to be in theaters. It is going to Yeah, it is going to be in theaters and on Netflix. So you got both of them. I'm not sure why you'd go see this in the theater, but hey. You know, some movies, I would say, yeah, you should go see that in the theater. House of the Devil, go yeah. see that in the theater. El Camino on Netflix, or yeah. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Not so sure that that's necessary, but who knows? No. Uh, we also have a German youth, and that's about it for theaters. On VOD this week, on the 8th, we have Wake. We have Liam Gallagher, as it was. Oh, Liam Gallagher rock doc there. Mm-hmm. Big Oasis fan, Kevin? Into, into the Oasis? Uh, that's a negative. I ne- I still to this day don't I don't understand. I don't get it. I was never a huge fan of theirs. I remember. I don't understand how people. I don't remember. I don't understand how people were like that big of fans. But it also, it never felt like they they were that popular. But at the same time, they are that popular somehow. Yeah, they were, get it. They were huge. Maybe they still are huge. I don't know, but. This is specifically about Liam Gallagher, not necessarily Oasis. So don't get it twisted. He's not even going to talk about Oasis in this. Uh, Probably not. I I don't know. (laughs) He doesn't even like Oasis. No. I remember that was, that was like the big thing. Like when they, when they got super popular was the, the, the feud that he had with his brother. (laughs) It's all, it's all you heard about. Yeah. Just just them fighting, fighting nonstop. Incredible. And I remember though there was like an interview when they said that they were like bigger than the Beatles or something like that too. Also on the eighth we have Art of Deception. Everyone has their secrets. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Every single person. Mm-hmm. This one looks pretty pretty rough. Poster looks incredible. Yeah. Yep. We got Harpoon coming out on the eighth. This is one I would do recommend. This is this kind of really dark, super dark comedy horror movie about three friends that go out on a on a yacht together and there's betrayals. There's a lot of betrayals happening and it's this is worth a look. Okay. On the tenth we have Pretenders with uh well, Dennis Quaid's in that. On and on the eleventh we have Lucky Day. This is uh, from the co-writer of Pulp Fiction. I don't, gotcha. know, if, I don't know if that, <laughs> if that, if that's a selling point, but it's got Crispin Glover in it, so maybe that'll do oh, it for watch you. Watch out! Clifton, watch out! Clifton Collins Jr. is in there too. Oh man! Yeah, Roger Avery directed. He also wrote uh, Killing Zoe. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. 
Didn't he also do the rules of attraction? Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This looks like a crime crime comedy. It looks very much, you know, one of these like one of these pulp fiction style clones. Might be worth a look, who knows. Along <laughs> Along Came the Devil 2 is coming out from the director of Along Came the Devil. Along Came the Devil 2. <laughs> This, this, <laughs> the, the sins of your parents will surely find you. Uh, Adele's coming back. He's coming back with a vengeance, big time. He wasn't finished. We have Beloved Beast, the Holbrookian Horror. Looks like some kind of slasher movie with a with like a bunny, a little bunny killer, dressed up like a rabbit. Yeah. Also on the eleventh, we have Mary, which is a. Uh, I think it's a horror movie about a like a haunted boat. Say haunted boat? I think so. I like the idea of a haunted a haunted boat series. That's good stuff. I'm I think that's I like what it is. Boats. Uh Gary Oldman stars in it as He a, sure does. As a struggling blue collar captain looking to make a better life for his family, strangely drawn to an abandoned ship that is up for auction, he impulsively buys it believing it oh, will no. be his family's ticket to happiness and prosperity. But soon after embar- after they embark on their maiden journey, strange and frightening events begin to terrorize David and his family, causing them to turn on one another and doubt their own sanity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good cast in that. I'll probably give that a look. You're going you're gonna to watch that. On Blu-ray this week, we got Toy Story 4. We got Midsummer. Now, this version of Midsummer is not the unrated version or the uncut version, rather. It's just the regular theatrical version. And I think there's only like one special feature on this. So hmm. I haven't given it a look yet. I should have a review for the Blu ray up. Honestly, I'm not sure that I am going to write a review for this Blu ray because there's just not a lot to say about it. So maybe hold off on picking up this Blu-ray. I would actually recommend the, I don't know if it's out yet, but the extended cut was going to be, it's exclusive to iTunes. So you can buy the uh, director's cut on iTunes. So I'm not sure that if that's out yet, but if it is, that's maybe what I would recommend. All right. We have Aunt Annabelle comes home. This is the, the one from earlier this year. Have not seen this, but I'll probably give this a look. From Beyond the Grave from 1974 is coming out. Nightmare Beach from 1989. Deadwood the movie is getting a Blu-ray release. I'd recommend that if you're into the Deadwood series. Toys Are Not for Children from 1974 coming out on Arrow. Baby Blood from 1990. Primary Colors starring John Travolta from 1998. Remember that movie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do now. I, I forgot all about that bad boy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I ever saw it, but basically, John Travolta doing a Bill Clinton impersonation, if I remember correctly. I did not know that that was written by Elaine May. Huh. Directed by Mike Nichols. I did not know that. Nor did I. Woman chasing the butterfly of death. The girl with the butterfly tattoo. Killer butterfly. Red case limited edition coming out. That's from 1978. The Killer of Dolls is also coming out. That's from 1975. 
Uh, there's a double pack of Us and Get Out. It's on 4K. Dudley Do-Right cool. starring Brendan Fraser from 1999. Uh, oh. Gwen is coming out. That's a horror movie. That's a Shudder original. So if you have Shudder, you can give it a look on there. Or buy it on Blu-ray this week. Fatherhood from 1993 starring Patrick Swayze. American Dreams with a Z from 2006. Pretty much it for regular releases. What about Criterion's? Uh, we have a, we have a box set. We get a box set here. That's three silent classics by Joseph von Sternberg. So you get these are all from uh, 1927 and 1928. So you get Underworld, Last Command, and the Docks in New York, which I think this is. They've already had this box set. I think it's just getting bumped up to the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, I forgot to mention my boyfriend's back from 1993 is getting a Blu-ray release, and the Bread Fact. Uh, sorry, a Bread Factory is. Oh yeah. That's coming out on Blu-ray as well. It's probably bad, but I'm more excited about my boyfriend's back getting a Blu-ray release than a Bread Factory. All right. I think that's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulse Kevin. And if you have a minute. Give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Oh, when you're smiling. When you're smiling. All right. Let's talk about some Joker spoilers. You know, I guess the big the big thing is he decides so he is going to be on Robert De Niro's show, Murray Franklin, is his late night talk show. And originally he plans on. Well, first, I should I guess I should back up and say that there's one scene that he he kills a bunch of uh, like stockbroker dudes, Wall Street guys on the subway. He kills three of them. And this sort mm-hmm. of sparks this movement where the the lower class is fed up with, you know, the big wigs in the city controlling everything while the city's sort of crumbling around them. Crime is up. You know, there's this garbage strike, all of this craziness that's happening. And he that, that's not even why he kills the guys, but it sparks this this movement and. He he has a bad comedy set where his affliction, where he can't stop laughing, it hits him when he's on stage and it causes this, uh, I guess, viral sort of thing before the internet. And uh, De Niro shows this clip on his show and then they ask him to be on the show for some reason and he his plan is to kill himself on the show. But then I guess he decides, you know what, no. I'm not I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to kill Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which leads to I believe one of the more shocking moments of the movie. It's not a very violent movie. It's not as violent as I expected it to be. But again, I mean when you look at this movie, it follows the taxi driver blueprint like pretty damn close. Like I have to wonder if part of uh the reason why 
I guess I guess Scorsese's uh, quote was about Marvel movies specifically, but yeah, you gotta wonder if like somebody told him like, "Hey, this Joker movie, like they're totally biting off your your stuff here." With this. Yeah, I, I would imagine if, if it would have been anyone, it probably would have been De Niro. Like, oh, yeah. oh yeah! By the yeah. way, I did this movie. <laughs> it's pretty much uh, you know King of Comedy and Taxi Driver smashed together. Yeah. It, it, and we we all knew that going into it, but when you actually see it, you're just like, oh wow! Like, there's there's certain things in this that I mean, it's very very much like even the like the hand, the the finger gun to the head thing that had to be homage. It had to be. Mm-hmm. So it it follows very closely uh, to Taxi Driver in the end, and not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just you know, yeah, pointing it out. You're thinking with Joker, you're going to get something a little more, uh, you know, distinct, perhaps. I thought it was going to be way more over the top. I mean, when you, when you compare this to Taxi Driver, you look at the last 15 minutes of Taxi Driver, and it's a bloodbath, right? And, and so I was expecting this to be, like, really over the top. Like, I thought he was going to, like, kill, kill, De Niro after you know after he shoots De Niro I was like oh he's gonna kill everybody he's gonna kill everybody and he's gonna go on a fucking rampage and that's not really what happens there's like rioting that occurs he gets arrested and then one of his like followers smashes into the cop car and he escapes and then the end of the movie he's in an asylum he's in Arkham Mm mm-hmm and presumably he kills the person that was interviewing him and escapes. Or he's still trapped in those halls, just running back and forth. Maybe. From one guy, just one guy chasing him. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, Kevin, he was in Arkham the whole time and he imagined everything. This is all in his fucking head. The, oh whole, the whole thing from the beginning was in his head. Jesus Christ, could be. Could very well be. He never got out, actually. This is just another one of his delusions. I like where they went, where they he discovered that, he, or he thought initially that he was Thomas Wayne's son. <laughs> Which, that's what I wanted to talk about. When that, when that happened, I was like, please, dear God, let that be true. It would be incredible to me. To be like, okay, I'm going to make a Joker movie. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it be that Joker uh, is actually brothers with Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's a ballsy move. That's fantastic. (laughs) That is a really ballsy move. Now, they didn't didn't follow through with it. I mean, it's still possible. Like, they don't say definitively. I mean, he sees the adoption papers, and I think that it's pretty clear that his mom was, was... delusional and that's that's where he got his you mean it's pretty clear there's paperwork there's a flashback right that's what i said you see you see the the adoption paperwork but she also says in the flashback that that was all a cover-up and so there's there's still a seat of doubt there yeah i know which is still fantastic i want joker to be brothers (laughs) With that. <laughs> but that was the thing the, the nitpick thing is, is like when he goes to see that kid like as soon as that kid shows up I'm like 
Don't tell me that's bad. Because what, that kid's like 12 years old. Well, yeah, but they had it. It'll make any sense. That joke is like 40. They had to do that to fit in with the the end where his parents yeah. get killed at the end. But I just, I love that idea that down the road when Batman is fighting Joker, he's fighting a 75-year-old <laughs> man <laughs> in makeup. Well, well, they did it. They did it in Tim Burton's Batman, too. In Tim Burton's Batman, if you remember, uh, the Joker was the one who killed Batman's parents in that movie. So they did it in that one, too. <laughs> oh, God. Pretty, pretty, I want that. Pretty big age That's discrepancy the there. Next, it's got to be the next Batman movie. A, Joker's 75 years old. Just really frail. Doesn't move that quickly. It's pretty easy for Batman to kick the shit out of him all the time. But they're still brothers. That's the movie I want. That's the next Batman. And I want Batman to call him brother. Don't do this, brother. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I was just kind of hoping for a, a, a more bombastic finale than really what we got. And yeah. which is which is funny because it, a lot of times I like kind of understated things, and but yeah, in this case, it's it is the. It is Joker, right? Like I wanted to see him transform into what we know as the Joker. And in this, it was just even after he made the transformation, it was still way more understated than what we know of the character. Yeah, because I mean, to me, honestly, he didn't feel like Joker to me. It didn't feel like a Joker movie. I mean, even with the, the whole the Batman thing. That was like a reminder in my head where I was like, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is a Batman thing. I forgot about that. Yeah, I suspected that going into it, that it would be just ever so slightly in that world. And, yeah, that's the case. I mean, you can easily forget as you're watching this that this is even a comic book movie at all because it it feels so wildly different than anything we've ever seen before in superhero movies. Yeah. It's it's wild. It's really wild to think about. This is a DC movie. This is like a this is a comic book movie and it's not like one of these, you know, based on a a graphic novel or anything. No, nope, it is straight up a superhero movie. <laughs> it's it's there you go. It's pretty wild. I mean, for that, I applaud it. Like, I, I think that, I mean, can you imagine, like, if they made a Joker movie and they kept Jared Leto's Joker on as uh, the character, it just, it would have been terrible, probably. At, at well, least, yeah. at least in this movie, they tried something new. Like, this is not a typical superhero movie. And for that, I applaud it. Yeah. But at the same time, it is rather mediocre. Unfortunately, yeah. 